Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm Tim. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 36, we talked to Alana Lofman about helping children develop an appreciation for music. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Drew Sonnenberg, joined as always by my co-host, Tim Babbler. Tim, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, school starts tomorrow, so I'm definitely uh, gearing up for that. But you know what? It's exciting getting ready to teach music to these kiddos. Yeah, and we had a great conversation this week with a, an old friend of mine, Alana Lofman, who also teaches children's music in a, a couple different settings. And so we're excited to talk to her. But we did want to mention that... Part of the reason we're talking to her is not just because she's an old friend of mine, but she was recommended to us by multiple different people that we've had on the podcast before. And that's actually how we get a lot of our podcast guests. So if you have recommendations for us, whether it's you would like to come on the podcast and talk to us about a specific topic, or you know people who are doing creative things, please reach out to us at heartsandhandspodcast at gmail.com or on our social media sites at Wells Creatives. We'd love to hear uh, from more voices and get more people out there in our community. Yeah, we're always looking for, for new people to talk to and, and new things to talk about. So don't don't be shy. Go ahead and reach out to us. But let's go ahead and get to that, our discussion with Alana. Today we are excited to welcome my good friend Alana Lofman to the podcast. Welcome, Alana. Hi, thanks guys for having me on. Alana, for those who may be a little less familiar with you, could you briefly introduce yourself and what you do? Yes, I do a lot of things. I juggle. I feel that I'm a juggler. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I I'm a stay-at-home mom, slash I have my own piano and oboe studio. I play in several orchestras. I teach a class at the University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire, Barron County, and I play organ in direct choir and teach some music at church to the LES students. Do you ever sleep? <laughs> Sometimes. Actually, I, uh, I used to have some major problems with insomnia, so now I just go to bed really late and <laughs> sleep for six hours in a row, and it's amazing. Only if the baby doesn't get up, if of the baby still is working on it. So. Sure. <laughs> so one of the things we wanted to talk to you about today was, was children's music, because we know that you deal a lot with that, especially having two children of your own. And just often we think of children's music as kind of this separate genre that's different than all other types of music. And like, that's the only thing kids are able to enjoy or able to do or use or whatever. But how... How do you work with children to develop an appreciation for a, a broader range of music, whether that be classical or modern or instrumental or sacred or whatever the case may be? I think it's important to positively expose children to a wide range of music. And as adults, it's our job to do it enthusiastically. So it, it's like when you teach kids to eat food. If you say, yuck, mushrooms are yucky, the kids will grow up thinking mushrooms are yucky. The same thing with music. If you just don't expose them to it, or if you do expose them and say, ah, I really don't like punk rock, then they're probably not going to like punk rock unless they rebel from you later. <laughs> um, so, so to just expose them as much as possible in a positive way. Children's music can be a separate genre. And we definitely see that. I mean, we all have our Pandora stations for our toddlers and we know all the different versions of um, Skin Rinky Dinky Dink, right? But when I put on like a Brahms symphony, I pull up on YouTube and it's Vienna Philharmonic. 
my three-year-old loves to sit and watch it. He's just drawn to the violin because I expose that to him. But he loves also singing along with his children's songs. Um, when I teach him hymns and singing those to him, he's running around singing Alleluia from the liturgy. So it's just this exposure and being positive about all sorts of different music. How, how do you do that on kind of a, a broader scale when it's not just one-on-one -on -one with your child, but with like teaching a class or something like that? Okay. When you're teaching a class, so when I, I'm working with just general music with my, our LES, and our church's LES is a one-room school setting. We have about 10 students, and they range from kindergarten through fifth grade. So it's a big thing. I find that it's helpful to give them some facts about a composer or a style of music. For example, J.S. Bach. He's, you know, being Lutherans, we should know who J.S. Bach is. And then play something that's really great. If you think about Pops concerts at orchestras or even cover bands that play at weddings, I mean, different genres of music, but there's a reason people are covering them and playing these songs over and over again because they're really good and people like them. So J.S. Bach played Toccata and Fugue in D minor and the kids go, whoa, that's an awesome organ. So that's an example of how to both expose them to J.S. Bach and make them excited about the composer, but then also the musician. And we can go down the list with like Beethoven, Symphony Number no. 9. So I'm teaching a rock class right now, and I'm probably going to incorporate some of the rock and some of my jazz from last semester into my general music class for small children. And there are certain standards that people know. Glenn Miller's in the mood in jazz band. Do, 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 And that's something that people love. And children are going to love it just as much as long as they can hear it and see that you like it, see that you're having fun, learn some facts. They're going to start to enjoy it. And they're just going to be exposed to a lot of things. And to not have to test them on everything, too. I think tests make people nervous. <laughs> That's one of the things that I struggle with, and maybe you could give some insight in this, because I also teach music to Lutheran elementary school students, and I try to determine where is the, where's the way of getting them to go from an appreciation of the music to an affinity for the music. I think that has to happen naturally. Like, they're just going to show if they really want to dive deeper into something. And if you're student, what type of, do you have, like, classes that are separate from? General music classes for third grade through eighth grade. Okay. Is it all together? Are they separate grades? Individual grades. Individual grades. Yeah. That way, you, especially as they grow older, I think you're going to notice like the classes. I feel like when I've taught fifth through 12th, I've taught fifth through 12th grade band and choir as well in the past. And I find that each class has its uniqueness to it. And they start to drift towards music that they like as a group and to just develop it that way as see the class as an individual and that's worked how, how do you deal with the the idea of taste like i i feel like i have a fairly broad appreciation for different genres of music but no matter how hard i try i'm not going to enjoy country music and i'm not going to enjoy most hip-hop so so as you're exposing children to to these different types of music even if you're enthusiastic about the, how do you account for the fact that it may just not be their cup of tea well, just accepting that it may not be their cup of tea. that That's the one thing. Some people just don't like everything. But to expose, okay, so you don't like country music, but there are country rock crossovers. There are orchestra country crossovers 
there are lots of crossover music. So to find, especially if you're thinking on a really small group setting, if you can find music that is a crossover of something they love, it it might make them go, hey, this is kind of cool. So that's one idea for that problem. Kind of shifting gears just a little bit. You also work as like a children's choir director. And in just talking to you before the podcast, you you mentioned one thing that makes you cringe is when children's choir directors tell kids, just sing louder. Especially you, you said you work with a, a school that just has like 10 kids. So it's understandable that if you've got a smaller group, you just want the kids to sing louder so they can be heard. Could you explain for our listeners why that makes you cringe? And then also what your, your solution for that is. Okay, I, I jumped in and volunteered to be choir director of this this small group. And because oftentimes when you hear this, and I grew up hearing this a lot as a child and seeing different pastors and people leading Sunday school music or whatever who don't have a lot of musical experience, they say, just sing louder, just sing louder. We need the people in the back of the church to hear you. And that with a combination of today's popular music, what they're hearing on the radio being a belting technique of um, the children who aren't really taught how to sing, take what they hear from the adults and take um, what they hear on the radio. And they try to take their speaking voices, pitch them and shout. I think the example that I want to use is the Sesame Street song, the sunny day whatever the words are that comes up on the toddler radio a lot. The version we hear on toddler radio are these kids, you hear them, they're like shouting. They're putting shouting to pitches. And that's what I was starting to hear. And I've heard this in several different churches. And and I know it's coming from, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. This makes me cringe because one, it's, it's not appropriate for their vocal cords. This improper belting technique can actually create hemorrhaging, nodules, people who are trained in the popular world. Now, I I was just reading an article about Adele and how we all know she's had several surgeries. I believe Michael Buble has had surgeries. We know about Julie Andrews and her surgeries. Even people who are trained in the popular type, type of singing, overuse or even a tiny bit of misuse creates problems and now surgery is becoming a thing. And we're especially seeing it in this popular belting strategy. But these children, when they're doing it, you also see their faces and they're just not enjoying it. <laughs> That's a <the> thing. <laughs> if they're not having fun and then you hear, I'm hearing this improper technique that actually, I remember as a child, when I tried doing that, when they said sing louder, it hurt. You know, who's going to enjoy singing if it hurts? And then also I'm hearing in these hymns or songs that they're doing for church, there's often a refrain that's a bit lower, you know, usually middle C to to the G right above it, which they can belt and they're belting it really loud. And then the verse is higher and they're struggling to sing higher. And I'm going, okay, they're small children. Their vocal cords are little, they're thinner, Physics dictates that they should be able to sing high. So they need to be taught. So I stepped in. I don't have a degree in voice. I have my undergrads in music education, instrumental. And but I they prepared us by having us take a voice fundamentals class just in case we move to West Virginia and we have to teach voice to something like that where the licensure isn't so specific. And so I had this background and I had taught 
I moved to a state where I was thrown into a choir. And so I had done some research on my own. And the big thing that stood out to me is people just assume that singing is innate. You can sing or you can't. But singing is something that can be taught. Singing is natural for children who have parents who sing to them a lot, who have music around the house. But some people just don't enjoy singing. And if children are exposed to that early on, they're going to need to be taught. And to let them know that, yes, you can learn this. And yes, you will be able to sing. And that gives them hope. And the other thing is when I hear sing louder and kids are shouting, that's not helping things. Usually when they're told to sing louder, it means we want to hear them in the back. We want to hear what they're saying. And something that has given the children I've been teaching power to sing and have freedom in the voice that's comfortable with them is to enunciate together. So when I I told them, you can sing softly, but sing your words very clearly and be crazy with them. Just go over the top and everybody will know exactly what you're saying. And their eyes all, (laughs) I especially remember one like first grader boy, his eyes got huge. He's like, what? They'll hear what I'm saying and I don't have to sing loud? Like, yes. (laughs) And so we worked on saying words together. I mean, thinking I'm practicing saying glory to God in the highest and peace to his people, like really spitting out those syllables. And we've just practiced like saying them together and saying them in a whisper and to spit them out and do it together. And then when we sing or when they sing, they're like, oh, my goodness, they can tell instantly that everything they're doing is together and it's clear. And their teachers are like, whoa, whoa, we know what's happening. And so just showing them that they can say things together clearly gives them so much more power than shouting. And you can tell that they get excited when they realize that. So connecting this to what we were talking about earlier about children appreciating music, are there any other things like tricks or things you have to help children not only appreciate music, but enjoy performing it themselves? Well, one, so they enjoy performing it to really prepare them well. Choose something that isn't too hard for them to learn, something they can achieve. But then the next when you're teaching them to be vulnerable yourself. And by saying this, voice is so different than all the other instruments because the voice is inside your body. It's a personalization that's so different. If I want a new oboe, I can go and buy an oboe and get a slightly different sound. I can adjust how I make my read. And it is personal in that way, but it's not inside my body. And so in a sense, when we're criticizing somebody who's singing at any age, you almost, you feel like you're being, your, your person itself is being criticized and it's something you can't change too easily. You know, you have your specific voice. And so you have to be really sensitive to the children with that. But the first part to show them that you are vulnerable yourself and you can sing and show them your voice. And with that, lots of demonstration. And what works better with teaching children, especially young children, to sing a new song is to demonstrate by singing it, not playing the piano. They can hear the piano notes, but they actually respond much better to the voice itself. And what's what's challenging for men is that children respond best to the pitches in 
their octave. They don't have, young children don't have the ability to flip down the octave or flip up the octave yet. They're just working on matching pitches. So men as teachers need to sing in their falsetto to really demonstrate. Um, but I'm not a man, so I, I don't have that issue. But to give them exactly a demonstration of this is how I breathe, this is how I sing. That's the first thing. I find breathing warm-ups are really, really helpful. So they work on filling up their full lung structure and also with that stretching. And that just really loosens them up at the beginning of everything to just relax, get out of their other subjects. Another trick, because I had to very quickly, I had, when I jumped in, it was a week before the children's Christmas program. And I had one week to get them to be able to sing high. I was like, okay, I need to teach them right now that they have a head voice. And animal sounds are amazing. To first tell them <laughs> that they have different voices, that we're going to access those voices, and we're going to do funny things. And it's okay to be funny, again, vulnerability. But things like woof, that's a chest voice one. And they like to go woof, woof, woof. But then let's be a kitty. Mew, 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 mew. That's a head voice one. So you practice different animal sounds that use these different registers. And then they get really good at using these different animal sounds. You combine them. Woof, woof, mew. Woof, woof, mew. And the horse is super fun because it bridges the different registers starting high. And it gets them down into it. And using these sounds to help them explore, because then when they are told, hey, you have different registers, different voices that create different sounds, and then they use something that they've been using since they've been learning to talk, they're like, oh, oh, that's what it is. And they can start feeling it. And then the next thing, the uh, next trick is this works a little better with older kids, especially girls who have not been able to access their head voice before. I've had several of these saying, oh, I just can't sing high. And again, it's like, mm, anatomically, you, sh you should be able to sing high. It's simply physics. Is to talk like Minnie Mouse or Mickey Mouse if you're a young boy. And a lot of this is just role playing, of pretending to be somebody you're not, being out of body experience. But to teach them to sing with their head voice, it's magical. You're just like, hello, folks, hello, folks, hello, folks, hello, folks, hello, folks. You go into that Mickey Mouse voice and you, you vocalize it up in the head voice as speaking and then switch it into singing. And all of a sudden they realize I can sing high. It's, it's magical and it works almost every time with most students. So that's a trick I use. I like to spend like three to five minutes of doing vocal warmups after those little exercises. And you can, there's so many vocal warmup books that have lots of great ideas, but to just warm up their voices, all that stuff. I find just being silly with them, allowing them to be silly, I mean, within structure of the classroom, helps them feel more comfortable with the vulnerability of singing. And we talked about the enunciation, but to let, I tell them, spit out your teeth. Have the young boys, especially, they think this is funny, but to, when you say your T's, if you can get the T so clear, spit hits me at the piano, you are doing it right. And then after that, all the little boys will make their T's clear because they're trying to spit on the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's that's a trick that's really fun for enunciating is to give them challenges like that. I mean, kids love challenges. And then to show them that what they're doing is awesome. We forget what it's like to be a small child and learning how to sing around. That at first, it's, it's hard and you have to plug your ears to keep your own spot. But you're working on it and you, tell, you know, show them that they're improving. And they realize when they get it. And to let them know that it's awesome, that it's natural to have to work hard at it. And to show them that once they work hard at it, this is the reward because they get excited. Same with singing harmony. When they first like finally get to sing that alto and soprano line together, oh, they're blown away, but they're really excited because they know what they did is just super cool. And to let them know that they worked hard and this is their reward. They get to be able to sing something really cool. Sometimes we have issues with attitude problems with just boys as singers. And I think a lot of this stems to just the changes they go through around middle school and their voices drop and they crack and they have the time period where they can only sing like three or four notes. And then they tend to quit and they become fathers and just tell sons that singing is not cool. So to get boys to like to sing, I, I remind them, if you can sing and play an instrument at the same time, every girl will have a crush on you. <laughs> and, and they're like, what? Like, yes, girls like that. I said, you know, boys didn't care at all that I could do that because I was a girl. But, oh, the boys who could do that, man, you had any pick for prom dates. <laughs> so there's motivation right there for boys for singing. Yeah, I think that's why Drew and I both play guitar and sing. <laughs> but you're married now, right? Yes, he is. Okay, good. <laughs> no, these insights have been super helpful, uh, especially for me as a music educator, and I'm sure our listeners are going to feel the same way. We want to give you the chance now to plug anything that, that you're working on or things you have coming up so that people can uh, maybe get to know a little bit more about you and things you're working on. Yeah, I play oboe with pianist Dr. Kami Hankel, and we have a duo called The Claire Schumann Project. We have a website and Facebook and Instagram, and it's Claire Schumann Project. Dot com or the at symbol. And we have been working on actually children's programs to create an appreciation for both classical children's literature and modern music, songwriting. And we just two weeks ago did a performance at public library up here where we perform these pieces, but very different than classical music. I, I was twirling around in circles while playing my oboe, which is completely different, not something you're expected to do in orchestras. And just being fun and silly, we had readings of poems, A Child's Garden of Verses, and it was exciting. It was a multi-sensory experience, and we just really believe in creating music, classical music appreciation, especially for children. So we're starting to program family-friendly concerts, shows for different ages. I mean, this one was for baby on up and we had lots of great responses. We're currently booking our upcoming season, just juggling a bunch of schedules, but that's my favorite project that I'm working on right now is I get to play with my best friend. So that's great. Yeah. And there's, there's so much more we would love to talk to you about. We didn't even get to our final question for today, but we, we hope you'll, you'll come back on the podcast again someday and, and talk with us some more about all these exciting projects you're working on. Thank you so much. Well, that just about wraps it up for another episode of the podcast.
If you are interested in supporting the podcast and helping it do more and, and greater things, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash hearts and hands podcast. There you can gain access to uncut episodes and other features. And we thank you for those of you who have already shown your support in that way. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. 